We do want to thank all of you for coming and for sharing this wonderful day with us. It's a uh, bittersweet almost for me because I hate giving her up. And Malcolm's getting a real Miss you. I miss you too. Why, Malcolm? What? What is it? What? Why did you leave me? I didn't leave you. Do you love a twist ending? Are you like me? Are, are, you like, are you like Kelly? Do you love a twist, the story of the great twist? I, I love it. Like those whiplash endings, the kind that make you just say, like, wow, what? Oh, I think I hurt my neck. And there's been many great films and stories through the ages that have these sort of twists, but there's got to be none better than M. Night's Sixth Sense, right? Spoiler alert, by the way. Probably should have said that up front. We're spoiling the ending for you, but you've had 17 years to see it. <laughs> so, does that hurt you a little bit? Does that hurt you? It hurts me a little bit. 17 years since that film, that hurts me a little bit. <laughs> wow. So in the film, psychologist Dr. Malcolm Crow is working with a young patient named Cole who has a problem. He sees dead people all the time. And Malcolm, in his attempt to work with young Cole, is trying to sort of exercise some of his own personal demons. More ways than one, as it turns out, as the film culminates with that great scene. I miss you. I miss you too. Why'd you, why'd you leave me? I, I didn't leave. Ping! hand in hand, and it's like as a viewer, you're like, oh, wait a minute, I think he's dead. 
He's been dead the whole time. He's been dead since like the opening scene of the film. And it's kind of ridiculous, right? I mean, it's a little absurd. I mean, isn't it? Like a kid walking around, he sees dead people everywhere. A guy walking around the whole film doesn't even know he's dead. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? Except for the fact that, you know, I, I think... I think I see dead people all the time. Right. And, and before you offer to have me committed, um, I'd like to have a chance to expound upon that. And so what we're doing is we're in the second week of our new series, Epic Fail, and, and we're asking, and we're looking in the scriptures, and we're looking at our own personal lives, and we're saying, are there things that just appear to be these epic fails that if we surrendered them to God, they actually might be the very thing that creates the most beautiful story You've ever, you've ever known. And so I, I want to talk to you today about two different case studies. I want to look at two case studies of how I think I see people who are literally the walking dead amongst us. And not like the zombie, that show ruined it for that phrase forever. Um, but that we would say, yeah, I recognize that. I've experienced that feeling. And so case, case study number one comes straight from the scriptures. And, and I, I have to tell you that um, I have some church experience from my youth. I, I, I grew up being taken to church, not going. You understand there's a difference, right? Does anybody, can anybody relate to that? Like, I was taken a lot. Like, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And, uh, but I did not believe as a result of some things that happened. And we'll talk more about that later. But one of the things I remember as a young person, I remember being introduced to these characters in the Bible and I didn't like some of the things I heard as a young I was like, that, that person seems rather dastardly, because I had a very high vocabulary at a young age. And, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, I was like, they are up to some nefarious things, you know, as a little, as a youth, just a little guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, very high IQ, sorry. Anyway, I'm kidding. Uh, so... But I really, I was troubled by some of the people. I was like, we're supposed to be like that? No, thank you, right? And oddly, in my life, as I've gotten older, I, I take a strange comfort now in knowing that the scriptures are brutally honest. That they just tell you, for most of the characters, just like, warts and all. Here it is. And as we embrace that sort of honesty, we see the, the glory that God can do in a human life when someone just decides to get honest. It's quite, it's quite extraordinary. And so this first case study is housed in the book of 2 Samuel, and it's about a, a guy named David. And probably a lot of you may know his story, regardless of your spiritual background. He's a king. He is regarded highly as the great king of Israel. And we pick up the case study with him at, at home in the palace, in his kingly palace, the palace of the king. And it's interesting to note because we're told that it's spring and all the other kings are out at war. Except David's not. King David's not at war where all the other kings are. He's back at the palace and it's kind of like, hmm, what, what, what you doing at the palace, David, when all the other kings are at war? Too, too many Cheetos and back rubs? Like, what's happening here? Like, what's the story? That's odd. And so at the palace where he probably shouldn't be, he's taking a stroll on his rooftop and he happens to look across all the other rooftops because he's in the palace and it's higher than any other rooftop. And he looks out and he sees a beautiful woman. And she's bathing on her rooftop. And so he's immediately 
taken by this. And so he inquires, who, who, who is that? And he's told that she's in Bathsheba, which actually her name is Bathsheba. She's in a bath. See, you see what I just did there? Ha <laughs> ha. That's, that's really not funny. Anyway. So he's told that she's Bathsheba. He's also told that she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And Uriah, interestingly enough, is off at war on behalf of David's army. Interestingly enough. So what King David does is this. He summons for the woman. He says, go get her and bring her to me. And when the king asks for something, you guys know how this works, right? The king usually gets what the king wants. And so he says, fetch her, like bring her to me. And so someone goes and gets Bathsheba and brings her to David. David and Bathsheba get busy. Bathsheba gets pregnant. That's kind of how that goes. Just like that. We don't need to expound upon it anymore. You, you can fill in the blanks, right? And so now Bathsheba's pregnant and David has an issue. He's got a problem. So how does David choose to handle it? This is how he chooses to handle it. He summons for Uriah to come back from the battlefield. He brings Uriah back. He brings him into the palace of the king. And he gets Uriah all liquored up. This is totally true. Liquors him up. Yeah, Uriah gets him all liquored up. And then at the end of the evening, he says, hey, go be with your wife. Good man. Not right. I don't know why his son's British, but he does. Anyway. Pats him on the back, says, go enjoy your wife. Because you see what happened. David's trying to cover his tracks. But Uriah, in an unusual and beautiful like, a, a moment of integrity, does not do that. He stays in the palace and sleeps with the palace guards. He just stays there. And David, you know, is like a little bit panicked. He, 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 he confronts Uriah later, but he's like, hey, Uriah, what's up? I told you to go home and, and be with your wife and enjoy your wife. Like, what happened? And Uriah says, well, how could I do such a thing? My brothers are at war. I could never do such a disgraceful thing. And it's like, it's not looking good for you, David. It's really not looking good. And so how David chooses to handle it then is he sends Uriah back to war with instructions. Tell the commanders, put Uriah at the very front of the battle where the battle is the most intense. And then when the battle gets most intense, pull back from Uriah and leave him to die. And when a king wants something, you guys, you guys know how this works, right? The king usually gets what the king wants. And Uriah meets a very untimely and undeserving demise. So a guy named Nathan, who's the prophet of God, comes to David, and he tells David a story, a story about a rich man, a poor man, who live in the same town, and a sheep. And it goes something like this. Nathan comes and says, I want to tell you a story, king. He says, in a town there was a rich man and there were a poor man. There was a poor man. And the rich man had droves of cattle and sheep, anything he wanted. And, and the poor man, the poor man just had but one sheep that he had kind of raised from the time he was a small boy. They, they sort of came up together. And, and this sheep means everything to his family. They feed the sheep. They, the sheep sits with them. The sheep sleeps with them. It's like a pet. This sheep, this little ooey lamb, this little female sheep is like a daughter to this man. And one time, Nathan goes on to tell him, one time the rich man had a guest. And the custom would be to sacrifice a lamb to serve for dinner for your guest. But the rich man did not take one of his many, many lambs to sacrifice for his guests. He demanded the lamb of the poor man be sacrificed and served to his guest. And when David hears this, he's none too happy. Listen to his response. It's fascinating. It's in 2 Samuel 12. Pick up verse 5. David burned with anger 
against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. And not in like a high five chest bump kind of way, right? Like you're the man, it wasn't that. It was you, you're the very man that you're demanding should die. You could have had anything. You're the king. Anything could have been yours. Instead, you demanded the one thing that Uriah had. And there it is. A dead man. A dead man who is demanding that a man who acts in such a way should die. He's busted, right? And David confesses right away. Um, I've sinned against the Lord. He's busted. He's, we have this expression, you ever heard, dead to rights. You know that? You know that feeling? Have you ever been dead to rights? Have you ever been busted by, by like a, you know, a parent or a teacher? Maybe a sibling or a peer? Maybe, maybe girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, partner, maybe... Maybe coworker, boss, maybe the law, and you're busted, and you know you're found out. Your sins have been found out. Your your transgressions have been found out. You are, but and you know it, and you just sit in that moment. You're like, oh, I'm dead. Any anybody know that feeling, or am I like going to be in therapy for the rest of the life? Thank you. <laughs> just busted. And here's where case study number one takes an interesting turn, as if it already hadn't. That David responds with confession. He immediately recognizes that he has no standing anymore. He is just dead. And he, he ends up writing the most beautiful passage in the scriptures that's given comfort to generations of people for thousands of years on what it looks like to literally just repent and just be honest and say, I'm, I'm dead. I got nothing. Even I can't believe what I did. It's found in the 51st Psalm, and it opens with these two verses so beautifully. It says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Just that place where you know, I'm, 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 I got nothing, and I'm just so hoping that you will do something. He goes on in the middle of the passage, in the middle of the psalm, and he says these words, verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And, and I love these words. He says, create in me. Like, like, there's, like, take this and just throw it away. Take what I've, and just start, can we start again? Can we just start over? And if you've ever been at a place like that in your life, you know that feeling. Can we just start again? And this is where we take a turn towards case study number two. And case study number two is, 
It's for those of us who've ever felt, while we understand cognitively that we're very much biologically alive, right? We have a pulse and we have a heart rate and we take in oxygen into our lungs and we exhale carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. We understand biologically that we're very much alive, but at some point we recognize that in every way that makes you feel alive, emotionally, spiritually, we come to recognize at some point that we're dead. And, and maybe of our own choosing, we just killed that side of ourselves. If anyone can recognize it, I'm going to talk about case study number two. It is my own personal story. And oddly enough, it too involves an unplanned pregnancy. I want to tell you right now that uh, the portion of my story, I can't tell you my entire story, I don't, time will not allow for that, but the portion of my story that I want to share with you this morning, I want to tell you with just about mathematical certainty, I've never been able to tell this portion of my story in front of a room full of people such as this without at some point becoming emotional. I just can't do it. I, I mean, it's like really rare. It'd be really rare if that didn't happen. It's almost a, a scientific fact that it's going to happen. I just, I want you to know that up front. Because I want to talk about that for a second. One thing I want to tell you is that the first thing is, I want you to know how much I hate that. It's not a good experience for me, okay? Some of you will be like, it's beautiful. And I'm like, yeah, let's not talk about it afterwards. Let's not, we don't need, oh, it's a, no, it's just like, it's, it's okay. It didn't happen. It's like, I, I feel like, zip, oh, look at me. No, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good for me. And, and the second thing I want you to know is, is that I'll be okay, all right? Because I know that can be weird, right? Like someone's, oh, this is crying. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. You think it's okay? You think it's, oh, this is so awkward. This is, I get it. So I, I'm going to be okay. I brought ammunition. I'm, uh, I'm good. I'll be all right. I've, I've survived it before. Again, I'm going to survive this. And then the third thing I want you to know about this is, should it happen, and it's probably going to happen, uh, I want you to know it's in no way intended to be manipulative. I, I hate that sort of thing. I would never do that. So, so here we go. You ready? So here's my... Here's my case study number two. So as I told you earlier, I grew up being taken to church, not going of my own volition or anything like that. This was a troubling experience through the days of my youth. I saw some good things. I saw a lot of bad things. I have a mother, shocking, right? I have a mother who is a believer. Apparently she came to faith at some point when I was around two years old. My mother is a very a beautiful, generous woman, but she's also very naive and very emotional. And I'm not really comfortable with it. Yeah, so... And, and so my mother is, it's, it's kind of a wonky experience for me when I'm young. And, and the reason why that's true is because my mother is having these very emotional experiences. And I have a father at the same time who's a very harsh man. And, and there's things going on in our home at the hands of my father that my sister and I experience that are just not okay. And my father will eventually become a deacon in a prominent denomination and if you don't know what a deacon is, in the, in the scriptures, it's literally a place where someone would be like a servant. Uh, but it's often, uh, unfortunately, it's often become a position of power and a corrupter. Now, I won't speak to that side for my dad, but I will tell you 
that I didn't really see the servant side. There was a lot of walking on eggshells around my dad. There was a lot of like, how's this going to go? And my mom was really generous, and she'd invite people to my home, and I was always nervous. I was like, oh, my gosh, we have these strange people in our home. My dad's going to, it's not going to go well. Someone's going to say something. He's not going to, ha, oh, it was just like all the time. And so as I, as, I got, as I got older, and I started to really come into my own, in terms of my way of thinking, the entire religion of Christianity seemed ridiculous to me. Can I, can I be that honest with you? I was not in. For, I was not a believer. I was not in for I was like, mm, that's troubling. That's got a lot of troubles. There's a whole lot of talk, and then a whole lot of show up and play church, and it just wasn't my thing. And so as I make my way into my late teens and early 20s, I, I want to be very honest with you. You should know that I, I was a person who, as a result of the moral failures of others, I'm now inflicting my own moral failures onto other people myself. Because hurt people hurt people, you understand, right? And so I'm, I'm just, I'm not a good guy. I wish I could tell you, I was such a good guy. I was not a good guy. I, I was just a, a guy who was just now inflicting uh, having my own experience of moral failure inflicting hurt on other people, and I had a giant ego, which just covered up and masked over all my insecurities. And I had cynicism, and it was like a weapon for me. I was so jaded I could just suck the joy out of any room. And I prided myself on that. Because there's something that you should know, that when you... When you come to die emotionally and spiritually, even though you're very much biological alive, when you come to that point, you become a murderer too. You should know that. Because when you're emotionally dead and spiritually dead, it is not okay with you that anybody else feels alive. Because if they feel alive, it renders you without excuse. And so you become a killer. And this is who I was. And so one day... I get a phone call uh, from a girl, and I, I know the girl we're dating, and uh, I don't really know what she's doing with me. We, we had chosen two very different paths post-high school. She went the route of college and solid career. I went the route of wannabe rock star and soon-to-be loser. <laughs> and uh, it's, I, I don't know what she's doing with me. But she is, and so I get a phone call, and she's away at her college campus about four hours away from where I live, and she gives me this news, Rob, I'm pregnant. And uh, it wasn't shocking news to me. This was not an immaculate conception, you, you understand. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I knew what got us here, kind of thing. And so I wasn't shocked. But I, all these, this flood of things start happening, like, how we're going to have to face the music, we're busted now. And, and I'd made promises to her father. Her father was very clear with his intentions, you know, about how I, he wanted me to honor the purity of his daughter. And it was going to be very hard now to convince him that I took him seriously at this point. And uh, there was just a lot of things. So we made a plan. We said, I'll get up in the morning. I'll drive up. We'll talk about what we're going to do and how we're going to move forward. And so I got up the next morning. I got in my car, and I'm going to drive four hours to see her at school. And I stop at a gas station to get gas, and I'm pumping fuel. And this, these were the archaic times where you had to pump and then walk to an island in the middle of the gas station and pay. Do you remember those dark days? They were terrible. <laughs> so I walk over to the island to pay for my gas, and I'm walking back to my car 
when another car just whips into the parking lot. This guy coming in trying to pick up a pack of smokes. He's not paying attention. He just jets in and he hits me with his car and rolls me up on his hood onto his dash and it just rolls me back off as he slams on his brakes and I come rolling off and I land on the concrete and it's like the world is spinning and I'm looking at the sky and a bunch of very concerned citizens run over to me and then one very well-meaning citizen asked me the dumbest question I've ever heard in my life. What? Yeah. <laughs> I was ill-prepared to handle that question at that point. Then he asked, are you okay? And I just say, no, I'm not okay. I just got hit by a car. My girlfriend's pregnant. I got no long-term job prospects. Our pets' heads are falling off. I mean, it was bad. There's a little, little dumb and dumber there for you, lighten up. So, so this person who asked this question was like, okay, <laughs> sorry I asked. So, you know, it was like a, like a Molotov cocktail going off. It was like not good. So from there, I'm going to fast forward a bit. It was a shotgun wedding. Just like, here's my girlfriend, uh, my fiance, oh, my wife, and my child. Huh. How do you like that? Um, very quick. And... Uh, I, tr- I, do- I dove into work because I had to, because now I had mouths to feed, you know? And I, I dove into work, and I, I'm making terrible choices in my life. Just horrible choices. And I, and I nearly wrecked my marriage. Uh, my wife should have left me. Thank God she didn't. Uh, you should know that if today is my wife's birthday, and literally is 24 years to the day that she got pregnant. And yes, we know that for a fact. That... <laughs> Happy 20th birthday, baby. All right. Um, <laughs> maybe if you see her and you know her, you'll just spontaneously sing happy birthday to you later or something. But listen, um, yeah, I dove into work and I make horrible choices. And I don't, I don't know why my, my wife stays with me, but she does. So she has a higher code of ethics than the average person for sure. And at some point, you know, I'm, I'm just horrible. Like I remember my mom would call and she would say things. You know, my mom, I should tell you, she never stopped praying for me. And I would just openly mock my mother. And why would I do this? Because she wouldn't stop praying for me. And I was just such a jerk. And she would call me and she'd say things like, Rob, I'm just so worried about you and Shala and Logan. And Logan's my son. And, and, and I'm just, just so worried. And I want you to know I'm praying for you guys. And I would have my mom on the phone and I would say, oh, 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 mom, oh, Shala, hey, baby, everything's going to be Okay. Mom's got her fairy dust out, and she's saying prayers. I mean, isn't that horrible? I mean, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you that. Almost. But it's true. It's just true. This is who I am. And at some point, my mom calls with another call, and she says, hey, do you, you think you'd mind if we started taking Logan to church, my son to church? And I got to tell you, my wife and I saw we both protest immediately. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Come up with a thousand reasons, but immediately. But, 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 but eventually we cave. And you know why we cave? You know why I cave? Because this is, and this is ridiculous. Because I want my son to be good. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? I'm like, I want him to be morally good. So he'll pick that up if he goes there maybe. But I don't want him to believe. Like that's really, that's called hypocrisy, you guys. Seriously. Um, and that's where I was. I was like, you yeah, know, I just, maybe he'll be good. But I don't want him to believe. And so it turns out my son, though, 
is a little boy genius. He takes after my, my wife. But he goes, he's three years old. He starts going to church, and he's in this program where they reward you for things. And my son is all the time, like in my house, doing things like quoting scripture. Like he's on the hearth of our fireplace. Like, like Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same. And I'm like, what are you doing? Stop doing that. Like, go, be a boy. Like, what are you doing? And he's like, but dad, they'll give me a patch. Dad, they'll give me a patch. Dad. And I'm like, what are they doing with our son? <laughs> this is all. But the truth is, uh, he starts asking questions. And I don't have any answers for his questions. All I really all I have is rage. All, all I have is cynicism. I don't have any decent arguments. So he's asking these questions, so I decide sort of, in my own mind, I've got to do something. I've got to figure out some of this stuff, and I've got to figure out how I can disprove this religion. I, yes, I was that person. Yeah, I'm like, one of the, I'm like one of the littered path of people who say, I can disprove God. And so I met a guy who was an adjunct professor at a local university, and he happened to teach religious studies, and he was an atheist. And I thought that was perfect. Because I was a wannabe atheist. I, mean, I was. And I thought, well, he can tell me all these things and help me feel good about my atheism. And so I went to him and I said, what should I, how do I build an argument against this? And how do I, you know, what should I be reading? And he gave me all this material to read and books. And so I start reading, I don't tell anybody, I don't tell my wife. And, and, I, and I start reading all this material and stuff. And I got to be honest with you, what happens is I, I don't become sure in my argument against God and or religion. I just become more confused. I, I come to a point where I start to think, well, it's completely arrogant to say that there is no God. How could you possibly say no God because there's just so much stuff, the creation, all these amazing things. Like how could you say there's no God? But you should know I thought it was equally arrogant to say that you emphatically knew there was a God. And I thought it was preposterously arrogant at the time to say that you could know that God. That you could say there is a God and I know him. And that seemed ridiculous to me. And so one day I'm talking to my adjunct professor, religious studies friend, and I am asking a question, and I don't really remember how it happened, but he said something like this. He said, so what are you asking me, Rob? If, if I had to choose a religious path, what would it be? And I said, no, that was not my original question, but what is the answer to that question? Do you have an answer? And he said something like this. He said, well, I guess if you held a gun to my head, mate, forced me to say, say I, would have, you, I guess you'd have to go with Jesus. And I said, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, why? Why, why would you, why would that be? And he said, I said, so you're, you're Christianity? He was like, eh, not Christianity, I'm talking about Jesus. And I'd never separated the two out, I got to tell you. At that point in my life, I'd never thought of like, is there a possibility that Jesus and Christianity aren't always just mutually running together. It had never occurred to me. And, and, and I'll tell you, in the next three to five minutes, he systematically went through every world religion, including Christianity, and really gave a great argument to, to cut them out from underneath their feet. And I was with him on every single point. 
And I was like, yeah, I'm so with you. But then I said, but what did you, what, what did you say about Jesus? What is that about Jesus? He said, well, you know what? I'll tell you this, though. You know, at least with Jesus, there's a guy whose life was hell, right? And I can relate to that. And I was like, okay. Yeah, I'm with you. He said, but that, that guy went through a lot. And at least, I will say, at least he always responded the way you'd want a guy to respond who claimed he was God. And he said it like, hmm, isn't that cute? And I took it like, Phew. what? What did you just say? And I, and I got to tell you guys, I, I, I remember going to my house and taking out this old Bible my mom had given me years before, and I was like, Phew. you know, that kind of thing. And I knew enough to know from my youth that I knew that the stories of Jesus were housed in what were called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so what I did is I opened the Bible for the first time in my life on my own. Like where I really just was like, I, I want to know. What, what, what is, is this, if this thing's so powerful, if this thing's so great, I want to know. And I opened it up and I started reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Just over and over. And one time I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then I got right into the beginning of John. And I got to the second, third chapter. And I remember reading about this incredible scene with this guy named Nicodemus, who was a religious man. He was, he was a religious Jew who, who was like of, of high rank in their political system because religion had kind of, the religious people that day had sort of gone to bed with the political system. We've never seen that before, right? We've never seen the inbreeding of religion and politics, right? But this is who, who, who this Nicodemus represented. And he came to Jesus at night in the cover of dark. And I don't know why. I don't know if he was like, I don't want anybody to see this, but I got some questions. This guy's intriguing, whatever it was. But he was Nicodemus came at night, our first episode ever of Nick at Night. And uh, that's, uh, that's not funny, seriously. I, why are you, don't indulge me. I'm almost ashamed of that I just said that. Um, and you should be ashamed for laughing. So anyway, uh, so Nicodemus is there at night, and he's asking Jesus questions, and Jesus makes one statement, and I read it, and I was like, there it is, oh, there it is, and this is what Jesus said in verse 3 of John 3. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. Again, here's the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And I immediately stopped and I was like, ah, there it is. Nope. I'm out. I was intrigued. And I was intrigued. I was reading so many incredible things. I was like, oh, I never knew Jesus was like this. I always thought he was kind of a wussy who was like, looked Swedish and had like kids and lambs on his lap. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> and I was reading all this incredible stuff. And... But then I read, he, you, he must be born again. And I was like, no, that's it, I'm out. Because I am not going to be one of those born agains. No. I'm not going to be like, like what I saw growing up. I'm not going to be one of those religious, pious hypocrites who stand on their moral ground and judge everyone. I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to be that guy who, who, who thinks religion and politics are and all that. No, no way, no way. It's never going to be me. I'm out. I was intrigued, Jesus, but I'm out. And so I decided, I'd heard someone say this, 
If you don't know, just ask God. And I'd read that, like, just seek. Just seek and you will find. If you really seek. And i got to be honest, I was so intrigued that I just didn't leave it there. I, I stopped in my kitchen and I said, it was a really rough prayer. I, didn't, I mean, I'd seen people do it, but I was like, God, okay, like, if you're there, I don't know about all this, but I admit I'm intrigued. But what, I'm not, God, I'm not doing this born again thing. Mm. I don't even know what that means. What on earth is that, what is Jesus talking about? Why, what is born again? Why born again? And I kid you not, it was like, why'd you leave me? I didn't leave you. Ding! Ah, I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm so dead. And I'm killing everybody I know. People I claim to care about. I'm so dead. And it occurred to me, of course... Of course I need to be born again. Because I'm dead. And what Jesus is offering is another shot. That cry of David years ago. Create in me a pure heart. Can we just start over? Can we just start again? And it's like Jesus saying, yes. Yes, you can. I am making a way. That you can start again. And I'm telling you, I'm asking you right now, if you can relate at all to anything I'm talking about, I ask you, could there be anything more beautiful than being born again? I mean, forget what you know. Forget what you know about politics and religion and forget all of it. I'd like to loot the house of religion and politics and steal that term back. Because that term is so beautiful, because if you've ever felt dead, if you've ever been dead to rights, if you've ever had any experience like that, then you know there's nothing more beautiful than second life. Nothing. And I had my own Psalm 51 moment, and I started confessing. I'm a horrible person, God. I'm a terrible father. I'm a terrible spouse. I'm a terrible son. I'm not even sure where I rank on the, on the totem pole of employee. I don't even know how that goes. I'm, I'm bad. I'm not good. And it was like God was just saying, yeah, come on, come on. And I was like, but I want what Jesus did to count for me. I want to follow. It seems to me a lot to him to have people follow him. I'm in. And my life has changed. And I want to tell you, a few years later, I was, I was interning at, at a church. <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> and there was a minister at the church that told me this. This is what he told me. He said, hey, when you tell that story, don't ever tell that story like that. So he said, he said, don't ever tell that story like I just told you. It's like, don't ever tell that story. I was like, what do you mean? He was like, you need to tell people you were, you were married in 92 instead of 93, especially your son. And I said, why? And he said, because it's an embarrassment to you. And you'll never have any authority with your son. See, that's what religion will get you. See, that's what religion will do. It will, it will be about, you must please the establishment. But I want you to know, if you don't know this, that what I'm talking about with Jesus is way different than that. 
when you're in relationship with Jesus and then you get a church, which is just a group of people together in relationship with Jesus who are voluntarily saying, we choose to serve one another and the greater world in the name of Jesus, that is beautiful. It is messy because we are flawed, but it is beautiful. And I want you to know, I told that minister that day, I said, I will not do that. I will not build my life on a lie with my son. I mean, what if he ever found out? Talk about losing authority. I won't do it. And I said, furthermore, I will not rob God of the glory of taking some of the most horrific pains of my life and creating something beautiful out of them. I mean, you talk about a twist ending. So, thanks. So maybe today you're here and you, you've had your own moral failures. Maybe you're not the person that you thought you were going to be. Maybe you, you've done things you can't even believe you've done. Maybe it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an affair. Maybe it's unethical work practice. Maybe it's just lies living a, a life of duplicity. Maybe it's just, you've, maybe you've murdered. I don't know. But I want to ask you if even in this moment you will prepare your heart for your own Psalm 51 moment.
Christ who lives within me, Christ who lives within me, hangs from beginning to the end. You deserve the glory. You deserve the glory. Declare it today. We just, I always want to celebrate when dead people come alive, okay? So, so I'm going to ask you right now, I just want to ask you right now, if you're here and you know who you are and in a celebratory moment, if you know, man, there are some moral collapses in your life that you confound even you, and if you're ready to have a Psalm 51 moment, just confess. I want to ask you right now, why, don't wait, why would you wait? So right now, wherever you are, just stop and pray right now and pray, God, and confess those things. Say, God, bring them into light. And tell God this, I want what Jesus did in his death, burial, and resurrection to count for me. And I want him to be the leader of my life. I, I want second life. I choose to come alive again in the name of Jesus. Amen. And I want you to know, if you're here and you've said a prayer remote like that, or you're ready to do that, you're ready to have your own Psalm 51 moment, I want you to know there's going to be people here, prayer team, ready to receive you. And I would, I would ask you, let us, we would love to celebrate that with you. And we have the baptism class today. What could be more timely than just coming to that class? And maybe you've made a recent decision. And as I dismiss you, I ask that as you leave, just a moment, be sensitive to this moment. Perhaps there's some people who are needing to come forward say some words to God that will forever change everything for them. Have a great day.